0: This morning, I'd like to speak about the Christmas message, and the title is going to be A Savior is Born, and in that is the hope that comes with that. Now, I know that in my heart, I've been sensing all week long a sense of, of hopelessness, quite honestly, in our society, a sense of insignificance and lack of purpose that so many people live in on a daily basis. And... Um, it's that's, that's painful. It's hard um, to be that way. And I, I don't like to feel those feelings. But I think this week I felt them especially in preparation for the service today because when you have a feeling of insignificance and you have a feeling of no purpose, in reality you have no hope. You have no hope for the present, nor do you have any hope for the future. And it's a very dangerous position to be in. And for those that don't have their assurance of who they are in Christ, um, the natural result for many people is suicide. And when you take a look at the suicide rates that are around us right now, that's the 10th leading cause of death in our country is suicide. And um, so it's a dangerous thing and it's a very prevalent thing. And and though I don't want to Start a Christmas message off with the thought of death and suicide, but it's important, I believe, that we recognize the problem, recognize the situation, so that we know where we're going to go to fix it, and where we're going to go to get our hope. And um, this morning we are living in a world that is full of hurting people, and they're crying out for a sense of significance, crying out for a sense of purpose of life. What is life all about? And um, and basically that can that can be translated into a hopelessness and a sense of hopelessness. So. Basically, we as people, we're, we're created with a, with a need for hope. I mean, we have that inner desire that's in us that we have to be significant to somebody. We're social people. We're not loners. We're not designed to live alone. We're designed to live in community. And hence, we need to feel like we're contributing. We need to have that assurance that people think highly of us and that we are significant and that we make a difference in the lives of people. And quite honestly, when we don't have that need being met in our life, then it's manifested in a couple different ways, good and bad. I mean, if we don't have a need of attention, if we don't have a need of significance, if that's not being fulfilled on the not-so-good side, then people resort to poor choices, and they resort to all kinds of other inappropriate behaviors to get attention to try to at least fill that void of significance with attention because at least somebody look at me. Somebody care about me. So if I can't do it through the good side, I'll do it through the bad side, and they'll do it through deviant behavior. I know Rip deals with that on a weekly basis, you know, when his role with the basis bus and the things that he's doing. And, and there's a lot of people out there that are hurting so badly, they don't know where to go besides to turn to be bad because at least they get attention that way. And what a sad thing for people if that's all it is. On the good side, when people learn that a way to get significance and to be fulfilled is a sense of giving of themselves. And the more that they give out of themselves, the more that God restores a sense of significance in their life through giving on the good side of things. So there's a, there's a good and a bad side to that, how people deal with the issue of significance and feeling insignificant. So this morning, I guess the real question of the hour here is, is what is the true source of hope? What is the true source of hope? And can it be realized by human effort alone? So I want you to think about those questions as we, as we go throughout this, this lesson today and think about what is the source of hope? And is it all about me? Is it something that, that I can do on my own? Or is there another effort required or is there another source, another contributing factor required? Uh, Pete Briscoe is a pastor down in, in Dallas, Texas, of Bent Tree Church, and he is going to be featured in this video as a teacher. But he's going to talk to us about the Christmas story and about the Savior is born, and he's going to, we're going to talk a little bit about from Mary's perspective, and he's going to teach us a little bit today about um, the needs they had then, and maybe how we can apply these some of these lessons in our life today. So let's uh, let's listen to Pete and then we'll talk a little bit after after he's done.
1: ...self will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. She was growing into a teenager was living then in the obscure village of Nazareth in Galilee. She gathered the grain during the day and tended the lamp laid into the watches of the night. Her father knew the dedication of her work, her mother the kindness of her heart, her friends the curve of her smile. She stood on the threshold of womanhood. Among all the girls in the village she had been noticed, chosen, betrothed, a child bride before whom lay only possibility. Her father could walk with pride in the city gates. Her mother could rest in the comfort of her daughter's future security. But then he came, unexpected, unannounced, spoke openly and without shame of pregnancy, virginity, and his son, things men never discussed, and women only whispered about behind closed doors. She questioned him about the particulars, but not about the promise she knew the prophecies and the angel's words rang true she'd be scorned and rejected labeled as an adulteress in whispers and glances there would be no more carefree walks to the market no more happy trips to the well four hundred years her people had waited for hope but God had been silent now he had spoken the wait was about to end forty weeks And then, Emmanuel, God with us.
2: Has God ever asked you to do something crazy? To move to another part of the world, to quit your job, to give away all your money, maybe adopt a baby from China? or marry a prostitute? (laughs) Probably not that, but he did ask Hosea to do that, remember? You see, God has a history of asking his children to do things that don't make tons of sense. Are we exempt? What's your normal thought process when God asks you to do something that's nuts? If you consider it at all, do you then allow your mind to take over and process it logically, comfortably, concluding that God would never ask me to do something like this? Is there a biblical precedent for thinking through these things? Yeah, I think there is. A little girl named Mary. In my opinion, next to God asking Isaiah to walk around for two years naked to make a point, Mary got the craziest ask in all of history. It went like this. Mary, I want you to have a baby without a man. Realize that he's God. Raise him. Release him. Watch him die. And then surrender your life to your son after he comes back to life. Wow. In second thoughts, maybe this even trumps the naked thing, you think? Let's go back in time and unwrap this story. You see, after Adam and Eve blew it in the perfection that we call Eden, God conveyed the consequences of sin to every party involved. And when he addressed the evil one, he subtly hinted that all hope was not lost for us. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel this is from Genesis chapter 3 this passage is called by theologians the proto-evangelium from two words proto meaning first and evangel meaning gospel It is the first hint of the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere in the Bible. Satan has won the first battle and has sent mankind careening towards pain and anguish and sin and death. God's already at work. His plan has commenced. He's not surprised by any of this. The seed of a woman will be the ultimate demise of the evil one, he promised. But did you notice something strange about that verse? When we talk about making babies, we don't talk about a woman having seed, we talk about the man having seed and the woman receiving that seed. This is the only place in the Bible and actually the only place in all of ancient literature where we're told that a woman has seed. Something unique about the conception of this child is being predicted thousands of years before it happened. Now fast forward hundreds of years, but in the same area of the world, there's a young girl and she's growing up minding her own business. And one day Gabriel the angel appears to her and he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. This is Luke chapter 1. What do you think her initial reaction was? Well, in verse 29, Luke says that she was greatly troubled, which is probably a huge understatement I'm thinking. I mean, think about it. She's a virgin and pregnant in a community where this is certifiably frowned upon. But the messenger of God calls her highly favored. How will this be? Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm guessing the explanation took her from greatly troubled to greatly confused. Because she knows biologically that having babies without a man is impossible. But God is telling her it's going to happen supernaturally. Sometimes God's messages to us don't make immediate sense. He doesn't have to reveal the whole story to us. He tells us what we need to know, and then he expects us to trust in him. The angel reminded Mary of this grand theological truth, that nothing is impossible with God. This had to greatly encourage Mary, I'm thinking. She was reminded that God is all capable and all powerful. And what he says, he will do. What he says, he does. Biologically, she knew it couldn't happen. Theologically, she knew it could. Where did she place her trust? In her biology or in her theology? She'd most likely been taught of the proto-evangelium. She'd probably heard of Isaiah's incredible prediction that a virgin would be with child Over the years, as her parents read the prophets to the children in the glow of candles before bedtime, God's word had forged her theology. So at this crucial moment in her life, this crucial moment in her personal history, she leaned into that. And she leaned into him. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said even though she started out greatly troubled and then found herself greatly confused the Lord greatly encouraged her with truth about his character enabling her to courageously obey a very difficult command because nothing is impossible for Almighty God you know, Mary was a remarkable young woman because God saw fit to choose her to bear his son all kinds of misguided traditions about this girl have arisen over the years but Mary was not sinless, she was simple. And in that we find great encouragement for the rest of us, I think. There's going to be times when we're greatly troubled, right? I've been doing ministry for about 20 years now, and one of the things that's become abundantly clear to me is this, that life is hard. We live in a fallen world, so it has its own challenges in that. But add to that that we're citizens of another world, and the challenges just increase, right? Life is hard. There's going to be moments when we're greatly troubled. And then we might seek some wisdom or read our Bible and the message we get from the Lord might be completely different than what we expected or hoped for. And so we find ourselves greatly confused. And as God calls us to obey something outlandish and uncommon, we struggle because at the end of the day, we don't really trust him to come through for us, do we? And that's when we need to remember the great encouragement of this story. That nothing is impossible for God. This will allow us to courageously obey as His Spirit enables us to. Then simple people like Mary, you and me, we can be used by God to make a difference in His kingdom and in the lives of other simple people that He longs to know. When I was finishing seminary, Libby and I were helping a church kind of in an associate pastor capacity. And they kindly offered me an opportunity to stay on as a full-time associate pastor after I graduated from seminary. And I was really excited about this. It made perfect sense to me. We loved the people. It was safe. It was secure. It wasn't too far from our family, but not too close. It was perfect. Until one day, Libby pointed out to me that my gifts really point to a senior pastor position, not an associate one. See, I'm not very administrative at all. And my primary gifts were preaching and visionary leadership as a senior pastor things. So we sensed God leading us to say no to this opportunity, to say no to the sure thing while we waited for God's thing. So we said no and then I went to meet with the placement office at my seminary and they told me that of the thousand or so churches in the denomination there were only two pulpits available and they both had over fifty applicants, most of them with previous experience. I was greatly troubled, greatly confused, But I found myself greatly encouraged as I trusted Jesus in the midst of it all. A few weeks after, God brought a couple across my mother's path, and they explained that they were looking for a senior pastor. She gave them my name along with three other guys, and long story short, God made it incredibly clear that he wanted us to move to Dallas to leave Bentry, where we've been ever since. So we packed up the car, and we left everyone we knew, and we set out in obedience to the course that he had mapped out for us. And I can't imagine having missed this adventure. So let me leave you with a question. What is God asking you to do today? And what are you going to do with that?
0: You know, what is God asking of us? What is he asking of us? I I, I see three things here that I want to bring out this morning uh, in this video and just kind of encourage us with these things today. Number one, that how we react when God asks us to do something that seems to us unthinkable, unmanageable, and undoable, and basically makes no sense. How, how do we react to that? Has that ever happened to you? Number two, while we're doing the very thing that God is asking of us, understand that when you do the, um, embark on that venture, that a storm in, is, gonna, is about to break loose in your life. And the storm of difficulty, insignificance, and discouragement, even while you're doing the things that God is asking you to do. And then number three, with all the stuff of life thrown at us, we need to understand that we're going to win in the end. And it all begins with the birth of Jesus. It all begins with the Christmas story. So I want to talk about those three things briefly this morning. Let's talk about God's requests. How do we react to that? How have you responded to to God's plan that sometimes maybe seems a little bit wild to you, a little bit out of control to you. Now, I know that there are some people that are natural risk takers, and for those people, maybe that's not too big of a deal because maybe we're okay with risk. Maybe we're okay with going out on the limb a little bit. But probably most of us here are more conservative and we kind of quake (laughs) at the thought of doing something out of our comfort zone. We get a little nervous when God's asking us to do something that maybe we're not comfortable doing. The question is, how do you see yourself in that situation? Are you really comfortable with the fact that God is in charge of your life and that he has the right to ask you to do something that isn't necessarily what you thought was going to be your plan of action? How do you deal with that? Do you argue against God and... And do you say, no, God, that's not for me. It's for somebody else. Or or do you take Mary's perspective? It's a good question, isn't it? We have a lot of examples that are in the Bible that talk about God's, the way he does things. He He doesn't typically do things the way we think. I mean, do you think Abr- Abraham at the time felt comfortable about leaving, leaving his father's comfort of his fam- father's family and embarking on a journey across desert and across uh, foreign lands because god said do it you think he was a little bit nervous about doing that taking up everything he had and just leaving wow i think he was probably a little nervous about doing that and but yet the result of his obedience he became the father of a jewish nation and actually the father of the christian world because of his obedience And then what about all the other Old Testament prophets? It's really interesting. If you want an interesting read, go through the minor prophets and read those and read what was required of some of these men as they were giving the Word of God in a situation in the Old Testament days and the strange things that they had to do. I mean, uh, Pete uh, mentioned a couple of them. One was he was to marry a prostitute as a way to show that God loved his people, even though his people were unfaithful to him, that God still loved them, and he was required to marry a prostitute, a known prostitute. In Isaiah, he talked about having to lay by, the, lay by the temple gate, I believe it was, for two years naked. Now, that's pretty unusual. Uh, that'd be pretty unusual to do that, and, but yet he, he was required to do that. And, and there's many others that, that were talked about. John the Baptist how he was called to be a forerunner of Christ and how he was a homeless man living in the desert, crying from the desert, make way for the Lord, make way for the Messiah. Weird things, but yet God had a bigger plan in the lives of those people. The point here is that in in Isaiah chapter 55, it tells us in verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And here's the thing I get comfort in. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that my God is so much higher above me that I can't grasp him, that I can't understand him. If I could put God in a box, and if I could understand God, and if I could outthink God, or if I could even see his strategy, if I could even appreciate that for what it is and maybe get ahead of God, then quite honestly, he's not a very big God because I'm not a very big person. I like what Pete said about the simplicity of life, how Mary wasn't a sinless woman. She was a simple woman. Simple is not in the area that we would call simple today as far as being challenged mentally. I'm talking about just being simple in what we believe, simple in what's required of us. And I'm okay with having a God that's much bigger than me because it gives me confidence to know that when I am up against the hard times, that because I can't understand God, then I also can't understand his, his faithfulness either. And that how he can handle every situation that comes against me because he's so much bigger than me. And that that's that's, gives me confidence. It gives me peace. And I also liked what he said about we don't need to understand the details of God's call. I don't need to say, God, you need to lay it out for me, every jot and every tittle and everything down. You need to lay it all out before I'm going to embark on this journey. Uh, I don't need to know that. I just need to know that God's called me. And now I need to walk in faith because what God honors is trust. What God honors is faith. The Bible says that Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith, not because not because of what he did not because of how he questioned God to get all the answers first. He, God wasn't impressed with Abraham's strategy. He was impressed with his faith. And as a result of that, he was declared righteous. And so can I be today. And so can you be today. You can be declared righteous in God's eyes because of your faith to believe that he's leading you even if you don't understand all the details. Kind of hard to do, isn't it? It's Kind of hard to do, isn't it, Aubrey, when you're thinking about what's next at YWAM? What's next for my next stage of life for high schoolers and college kids and and moms and dads knowing and trying to grasp what's happening in your kid's life? It's kind of hard, but yet we're required to do that. And and here's the the beauty of it all is that as our faith continues to grow in God and our relationship continues to grow in Him and our love continues to grow for Him, there's a level of confidence that that matches that because we know that God is for us and He's not going to take us and leave us at a dead end. So now let's talk about feelings of being insignificant. Because I think, that, I think that sometimes we maybe get started down the path of God's call only to find the storms of life come, and then all of a sudden we start questioning, did I miss it? Am I really not doing what God asked me to do? If I, if I was doing what God asked me to do, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel sometimes See, I think that it would be easier for us in many regards if we were called to the deepest jungle in Africa and we were actually out doing the greatest things that we could be doing. We we might find that to be easier for us sometimes because we're so busy surviving that we're not dealing with the mundane things of life. And I don't think that God's going to call most of us to Africa. I think most of the calls that we have to us today are really the simple things of life and in the simple things of life called living comes the monotony sometimes of life and in that it's where the devil likes to work it's where the devil likes to bring all kinds of discouragements to good solid christian people that are called to live a godly life in all aspects of living not just in the the Billy Grahams are not just in, the, in, the, in the, the Livingstons, the David Livingstons that did all the great missionary works and, and the C.S. Lewis's that wrote all the big books and the, all the other great writers and history. were to live significant, normal, everyday lives, and sometimes that's really difficult. Do you think, let me ask you the question, do you think that in Mary's nine months of delivering or carrying Jesus, do you ever think she felt insignificant? Do you ever think she had questions? Nine months is quite a long time, isn't it? And we read, we top line the stories, and we see the top lining of it to see all the grandiose stuff and all the fun stuff and all the miraculous stuff. But boy, the everyday living stuff is when the details happen. And I don't think that we can um, under or overestimate the, the, the realness of their life. Mary, I'm sure, had nights when she thought, man, did I hear this right? Here's a good example, John the Baptist. John the Baptist just heard a few weeks prior to his questioning, God speak from heaven and a dove land on Jesus' head and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But yet it wasn't a few weeks later and he's in the prison and he's telling his disciples, would you go out and really ask Jesus Jesus if he's the one? (laughs) Is he really the one or is there another one coming after him? So you see how... Insignificance can creep in even when you know you're doing the right thing, even when you're calling out and doing the right thing, that you're doing what God has asked you to do. Yeah, it can be. And the, the doldrums of life sometimes bring seasons of insignificance. And that's where I think so many of Americans are struggling today in our Christian world. I think that's why churches struggle because the, the, the Christian doesn't recognize being significant in, on a, in the workplace being a significant employer, being a significant employee, being a significant whatever you do, know that God loves you, know that God has a plan for you, and even in the times of your difficulty, He's still there for you. Even when we are living out the mission in life, there's the time before the promise is accomplished. There's times that, that are, can be very anxious and a lot of angst in our lives, and, and, and the questions come, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I really supposed to be doing this? I I know I faced them. I faced them this week. I faced them as a pastor. I know Rip has faced them as a pastor. I know that you have in your ministries as well. I know Sandra's faced them with Play Cafe and, and Angel has with Tabitha's Closet. Are we really doing anything that's significant? Yeah, we have a lot of a lot of things that would come against us as we're embarking on God's missions for us. And, and these different levels of attack come externally. Certainly they come from the devil. But they also come from our own internal need of being acknowledged, our own internal needs of feeling significant. Am I good enough? Am I failing? Am I falling short? Am I doing something that's impacting for people or not? But let me just tell you this morning that that you have a purpose. And, and even when you come to those points of life where you're struggling in that, God is for you and He's got a purpose for you. And what He's put you on, He is not allowing you to go on your own. You need to just reach out to Him and let Him carry you along so that He can help you get through those times of insignificance, those times that where you're struggling with that. And there's some value in persevering. There's a number of scriptures. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Promises. God promises some things. Hebrews chapter 10:36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Galatians 6:9. Let us not become weary in good doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Second Thessalonians 3.13, As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. We're constantly encouraged to keep pressing in, and as you persevere and you press in, God's going to be there for you. And looking back at the example of Mary, for example, you know, do you ever think that she wearied in the process of carrying the child? Think about this, women, ladies that have delivered babies. She was asked, the moment... Up to the moment of her birth, the, the, you know, the, the Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem. Well, from where they were at, that was about 85 miles. So they traveled 85 miles walking and riding on the back of a donkey, and she's nine months pregnant. So think about this. Just do the math for a second. If you traveled 20 miles a day walking or on the back of a donkey, that would still take you four and a half days of travel time if you travel 10 miles a day that's almost two weeks sleeping outdoors walking over rugged terrain nine months pregnant now let me ask you the question she's the mother of jesus she's the mother of the promised messiah do you think she had any questions of saying why god why god are you making me do this Why am I having to go through such a difficult time when when I'm doing what you asked me to do? This was not my idea, God. I want you to know that. This was not my idea for you to immaculately conceive within me. This was your idea, and now you're putting me through this? I mean, imagine the days and the nights of travel in that period of time. Do you not see the angst in her heart? Wow, I, I see a lot of lessons there for me of that because if Mary went through those difficult times, can I not think that I'm going to have to go through some difficult times as well? Can I not appreciate that and say, God, okay, uh, then okay, then I can begin to understand now why I'm going through some of this difficult time as well. I, I'm feeling the pain, but I'm not alone in this. I wasn't the first one. And obviously, um, if I'm feeling pain and suffering in my doing good, obviously, because I have a model to follow, that you're not doing this because I'm in the wrong place. I'm not doing this because you're displeased with me. You're doing this because that's your plan. And with that plan, there comes a lot of other areas of life. I mean, there's many other examples. The disciples, they were sent off on a boat one time. Jesus stayed behind to pray, and they were sent off in a boat. And, and in the time of their going across the, 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 the lake, the winds came up, and it was hard rowing for them. I mean, they, they, they were doing what Jesus told them to do, and the storm comes up. and they're, In the middle of doing what Jesus told them to do, get in the boat, a storm comes up. Now, why? Why do the storms come in life when you're doing the things that God's asking you to do? Well, I think a lot of it is this, is that it is a test of your submission to godly wisdom and godly counsel and godly direction in your life. And here's a promise, I think, that we all have, that point number three, that with all the stuff of life that is thrown in at us, that we are going to win in the end. We are going to win. God does win, but yet there's lessons for us to learn. There's things for us to get drawn into. There's relationships for us to get closer to. And as we take the proper attitude in the difficult parts of life, it will help us to draw closer to Jesus in the difficult times. Time is on our side think about this way time is on our side even with all this stuff every ticking second that goes by the promises of god that god has promised are coming closer to being fulfilled in your life every day that goes by it's one day closer no matter what's happening in your life as you surrender your life to christ that his plan is coming one day closer to fruition one day closer to his plan being fulfilled and the enemy's plan falling apart and that might explain also why the devil may be a little bit more intense as the days go by. Because he's seeing time is not on his side. Time is on my side. Every moment I persevere, every moment I stay the course, every moment that I stay with Christ, I, and I use these difficult times to get closer to Christ, every moment I do that, recognize that that's one less moment for the enemy. And he is now starting to panic because times are getting short. So let me just tell you, as Pete said, Life is hard for the Christian. So I'm not trying to discourage anybody with that. I'm just trying to encourage you to say that you're not alone and it's going to happen. So get prepared for it because the devil is clearly out in a panic trying to create as much chaos and havoc as he can in your life even when you're doing the perfect will of God. So don't lose heart, Christian. Mom and dad, don't lose heart if your kids are doing a little bit weird stuff. Hang in there, grandparent that the amazing part here is that God does have the plan in mind and he does have it. And as we continue to, to fulfill our purpose, we continue to fulfill our um, choices and, and, and do the things that God ask, is asking us to do, that the things that come against us are really for our good. Jackie, if you would come and begin to wrap up here this morning. I, I want to ask the question. I want to go back and answer the question that we asked at the very beginning. The questions we asked were, what is the true source of hope? What is the true source of hope? Can it be realized by human effort alone? If you go and research hope in the scriptures, you will find scripture after scripture that that talks about hope. Psalm 33, this is the one I want to just answer the question with right now. Psalm 33, verses 16 through 22 It says this, it says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. What those two verses are saying is that no matter how strong you are, man or person or woman, no matter how strong you are financially or emotionally or stability-wise, You are not your source of hope. Let's go on. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. To deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name, May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So who has, what is the true source of hope? It's nothing that the world has. So if you're looking for hope in the world, you're looking for it in the wrong places. Our hope comes in the source of Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Our hope is the fact that the Savior was born 2,000 years ago. Our hope began in a little baby boy named Jesus. See, the message of Christmas is one that, that brings hope in the midst of all the turmoil in the world around us. For the person that walked physically with Jesus, there was hope for that person. And for you and I today that live today with the hope of Christ in our hearts and lives, Rip, that was your, the word you gave us today was perfectly on. Talking about the Holy Spirit loves to dwell in the temple that he lives in. That's hope, because he loves to dwell in his children's lives. That's hope. For the person that lives today, maybe all alone, your hope is not in the world around you. The hope is in Jesus Christ, who is indwelling in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And time has no impact here. Time has no negative impact here. Jesus is just as significant today as he was when he was born as a baby, and when he died on the cross, he's still is significant in your life today. Everything else is impacted by time, but Christ is not. His power, his strength, his authority—it's all as relevant today as it was then. As every ticket, as, as every second ticks by, it brings us one second closer to the realization of why Christ was born, why he suffered in his living of obedience for our salvation and for our living our eternal life the same ticks that are bringing us revelation and salvation are bringing destruction and death to those that don't believe to our enemies so that's why he's ramping up his attacks so much that's why we can anticipate more and more today the attack of the enemy against you because he's realizing his time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and our time is lengthening we're going to win people you're going to win I don't care what you're going through I don't care what level of insignificance you feel what sense of hopelessness you feel you're going to win the, 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 the Christmas message is all about winning It's all about hope. It's all about getting our true source lined up, forgetting about what the world says or does. So let me ask you this morning, as you are struggling and going through the holiday seasons maybe and trying to figure it all out, what is God asking of you in your life? And what are you willing to give Him in return for what He would give you? Are we, are we willing, are we really willing to accept the fact that Jesus came as a, as a baby that many years ago to bring us hope for our lives today? Can we embrace that topic? Can we embrace that? Let me just ask this morning as you would close your eyes and just self-examine your life. Before I pray, is there anyone here that needs to have a sense of hope and reestablish in their life through the birth of Jesus Christ? Are you comfortable with that fact? Can I just encourage you this morning that all it would take for you right now, if you're struggling in any area of your life, just for you just to recognize who Jesus is one more time as a baby, but more importantly as a man, a perfect example, perfect sacrifice. And all you need to do is say, Jesus, would you remember me? Jesus, would you remember me on this busy season right now? So as all eyes are closed, and if you just want to raise your hands as a a sense of appreciation and say, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Just know that I'm struggling in some areas, Lord, and I just need some help. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. That's good the Lord sees that hand more importantly he sees it and even as he sees that hand right now he's, just, he's sending angels when you did that as those that rose, raised their hand when you raised your hand understand what just happened you just opened heaven up you just opened heaven because your choice to say I need help and now he's sending legions of angels right now to your side to help you in your situation that's powerful that's powerful. The enemy can't do it. He, he, he's standing in the sideline right now, totally helpless. You've given him a sense of, sense of hopelessness now because of your choice to say, Jesus, thank you. I need help. Amen. Father, we just thank you this morning. And God, I just pray that you would be merciful and graceful to all of us this morning that are here. Thank you for those that were honest this morning and acknowledge the fact that we're human. We need help. And that you're so willing to send miraculous power to our side to help us. So God, I pray right now, I release heaven's fury against the enemy's attack. Lord, I, I just do what I can as a, pastor and as a shepherd of this flock, Lord, just to say, Lord, we're just receiving from you your strength and your power. We stand against the enemy in the name of Jesus and say, enemy, you don't have any authority in our hearts and lives anymore because of the hope that comes through the birth of Christ and his death and resurrection in our life. Lord, I pray that you would just bring us that realization throughout this holiday week as we go. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to meet with you in every aspect we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing could we prepare to leave. And if you want to just come up and pray for a minute, I'd love to chat with you for a minute if you need some prayer. Amen.